For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Olivia Chen. And I'm Vitas LaRue. You're listening to Daybreak. Today, we dive into and preview an investigation from the Daily Princetonian's data section on the finances of the eating clubs. It's Monday, February 6th. Later this week, the Prince is publishing a close look into the finances of all 11 eating clubs active today. The story will give an overview of how the eating clubs get and spend their money, complete with graphs from the Prince data team's findings. But today, head podcast editor Eden Teshom and I sit down with the piece's writers, David Yen and Grace Xiao, to give a behind-the-scenes look at the finances of the eating clubs. David and Grace detail how they executed the investigation and some of their key findings. Listen in. How did you all come up with this investigation? There was a eating club investigation done by the then editor-in-chief. And in that article, he dived really deep into the eating club taxes and in particular, whether they were evading taxes. And in, uh, we were kind of inspired from that in that we wanted to go through the eating club finances, but we also wanted to approach it from a more uh, student-based perspective. Like what, like, what do the students want to know about the eating clubs? Such as, you know, who has the most money? Where is their money going? Like, is it going to food? Is it going to something else? Um, and that was kind of the basis for the investigation. How did you go about finding the content of this investigation? So the content, um, most of it did come from I-990 forms, which is a very helpful form for like public access nonprofits. And some of the um, content we also was inspired by past Prince article by other publication on campus that talks about how some of the eating clubs are run. So what is an I-990? And then how did you use that information to find stuff out about the eating clubs in particular? So an I-990 is a tax form that has to be filed by all tax-exempt organizations, which the eating clubs are. And in order to find information about the eating clubs, we were able to access, uh, because they are public tax forms that are publicly available uh, through the IRS, and we were able to access over 15, 16 years of eating club tax data, and we just basically read through all of them and uh, scraped through all the data, and then we kind of collected our results into some nice easy graphs for people to read. The eating clubs are registered as 501c7s, which are tax-exempt social clubs. And the key thing about tax-exempt social clubs is that when you donate to them, you can't get a tax write-off for your donation. To get around that, the eating clubs use the Princeton Prospect Foundation or their own other specific club foundations that are 501c3s. And the purpose of these 501c3s are either for historical preservation or educational purposes, and because of that, when you donate to the 501c3, you can get a tax write-off. And when the eating clubs want to do a big fundraising campaign for a new building or a new wing, then they ask their alumni or um, other beneficiaries to donate to the foundation, to the Princeton Prospect Foundation or their own foundation, so they can get tax write-offs. And then the foundation will just give the money to the eating club. And what exactly is the Princeton Prospect Foundation? Well, the Princeton Prospect Foundation is an umbrella organization that represents all of the eating clubs on Prospect, except Cottage. Uh, they left the Princeton Prospect Foundation a couple years back. Uh, we don't know why. But the Princeton Prospect Foundation, what they do is their mission is to for the historical preservation and of Prospect Street, since all of the uh, eating clubs are historical buildings, and they also do um, education. So they've published a book on the history of the eating clubs, and they also maintain PrincetonEatingClubs.com website, which uh, has all the information 
about the eating clubs and their membership and essentially they're and because of that they are legally classified as a 501c3 and donations to them can be used as tax write-offs so then kind of reaching around this topic of taxes what are some of your findings about the eating clubs there so one thing we noticed is that the clubs pays a, a good amount of money in property tax, which the university doesn't pay, but because these clubs function as private organizations, they do have to pay that property tax. However, there is one club, Tower, that is exempt from paying property tax because of an agreement they made with the university a good 30, 40 years ago, where they host precept or like some classroom session. So then they kind of fall under the umbrella of the educational purposes of the university. So who pays the most in property taxes? So right now, Ivy is like leading with paying about $112,000 a year. The number kind of fluctuates a bit, but it, overall it is an increasing number. On the other hand, terrorists pays the lowest. They only pay 43000 or 44000 around there in property tax, mainly due to a reappraisal of their property a few years back that drastically brought down their house's value. And some clubs have tried in the past to be exempt from the tax. For example, Cottage took the Princeton Borough to court in the early 2000s to sue for about $500,000 in back taxes, which they lost. A lot of us wonder about the financial holdings of the clubs. What do their assets look like? So in the broad picture, Ivy is the most wealthy club. They have the most assets at around $9 million in total net assets. Uh, closely, Cap and Gown and Tiger Inn are the second and third most wealthy clubs. Cap and Gown has a net valuation or net asset of $8 million, and Tiger Inn follows at $7 million. Meanwhile, when we look towards the less wealthy eating clubs, the two most notable are Cloyster and Quad, who only have net assets of around $700,000 for Quad and $600,000 for Cloyster. And of these net assets, most of them are in the valuation of their house. So it's their um, property and some eating clubs such as Cap and Gown, Colonial, Ivy and Cottage have substantial holdings in um, stocks. So they, they, they do trade a lot. They're, the return on them varies. But in terms of investments, among all the eating clubs, the investments vary pretty wildly. So you just gave us a rundown of which clubs kind of look the strongest financially um, for their assets. So which ones are headed towards dire straits? So I would say Cloyster and Quad probably are at the most risk being the smallest clubs and also having the least assets. So if times kind of go rough, they have less students join because they're both sign-ins, then they could run the risk of not having enough money to pay their overhead costs, such as the property tax and like the salaries for the kitchen and the club manager. And that would be the worst case scenario. So even though Quad and Cloyster have the lowest number or value for their assets, what else can you tell us about their financial standing? They're pretty consistent over time, which means they are spending money wisely. They're reflecting maybe how many members they have, and they're not doing any risky investment, which is always a good thing because that tend to have a much higher risk when you are smaller clubs. And I think overall they're just very steady, which is never a big problem when it comes to financials. So for the financially stronger clubs that are investing in the stock market, what are their returns on their investments? So the best investors on the street are definitely Colonial. They had a $82,000 return on their $1.6 million investment, which translates to around a 5% return. Cottage had similar uh, investments 
though it was slightly less percentage return. On the flip side, Cloyster had a $34 return on a $424,000 investment, which amounts to around a 0.008% return. These were from the most recent years we had available. So the eating clubs are not cheap, but do these tax records reveal anything about how much of each student's money is spent on each aspect of the club? So yeah, there's definitely a breakdown on the tax form. However, we don't think these should be treated as empirical evidence because they are, some of these numbers can just be like an estimate and maybe I don't know how they do the receipt system. But overall, just based on what is reported, we see that food uh, accounts for about 20% of the total spending uh, per capita and social, which we think of as all the parties and all of the events, all the entertainers, they vary a lot actually between clubs, between years. They account for about two to 10%, just really depends. And we talked about property tax earlier because on average, they account to five to 6% of the total expenses of a club, which is kind of significant in the grand scheme of things. These clubs, a huge aspect of them is their alumni network. So which clubs have the most dedicated alumni? Just by looking at the contribution grants, which usually means alumni donation, we see IV as having about 21% of all of their revenue coming through these contribution grants, which is pretty significant part of their operating budget and everything. But this is also varies a lot. This is like an average of 10, 15 years. So the number can fluctuate a bit, especially when they're doing a big project, when they're doing a huge renovation, there tend to be a giant spike in alumni contribution. And also these numbers, we take them from the number that is reported on the club's own form. However, some of their foundations and some of the including Prospect Foundation have a own little fund set aside for each clubs. So sometimes it's hard to know how many money is in Prospect Foundation belong to each of the clubs. And also Prospect Foundation do some investment too. So we don't know how that agreement is set. How, if when Prospect Foundation are using some of these clubs money to make these um, investment. So we were talking off mic about the financial records of these clubs, and you guys found a lot of uh, fun little discrepancies in their tax history. So could you highlight some of those for us? So one thing we noticed that was uh, interesting, it's not as much a discrepancy as a very interesting information, is that Quad have had a history of taking out loans. And in particular, Quad had taken out loans from its chairperson and one of their trustee which they had to be publicly declared on their tax form as that's a potential conflict of interest. We did look at the interest rate of these loans and they are they're less than 1%, which means they're much below market value, which could just be its chairperson or trustee helping the club out. And in total, it's about $250,000 in, in both of those loans. Another interesting fact is what we mentioned earlier about Tower not paying property tax because that, for, for other eating clubs, property tax is a pretty huge expense and it's honestly quite amazing how Tower gets away with paying zero at all. And that all goes back to a deal they made with the university 20 to 30 years ago to host precepts and or other kind of school or university meetings in the club. However, uh, as far as the people we've consulted, um, in our research, Tower does not host any precepts or um, sections in their house anymore, at least since COVID. And that brings in the question, well, why are they still paying no property tax? Another thing we uh, noticed is how Tiger Inn had a giant renovation a few years back. And there is a basically a $5 million renovation. So a lot of this money did came through the Prospect Foundation. However, there is 
um, about a two to three million dollar of unaccounted money. Well, it left the Prospect Foundation for educational purposes, and Tiger Inc. never reported it on their own end. And this is like we checked the year before, the year after to make sure there's like not a missed data point, but the money just was not reported. It probably went directly into the construction, but that does seem to be a bit iffy on the boundary because the Prospect Foundation is not directly in control of Title N. Wow, that's a lot. Two yeah. to three million dollars. Yeah. And something else that's just interesting is that a few years ago, CAP used a $5 million fund that came through the Prospect Foundation, which is a nonprofit charity, educational purposes, to build a tap room. At that time, there was some objection because obviously a tap room to say that's for educational purposes is a bit of a stretch in a lot of ways. And some people think that's more of a social club function and it shouldn't be fall under education umbrella. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. You can read and view graphs about the eating clubs, answering questions like how much do they spend on food and which eating clubs charge the most dues when the investigation comes out later this week. That's all for Daybreak today. Today's episode was written by Eden Tishoma and Vida Saru, sound engineered by Eden Tishoma, and produced under the 147th Managing Board of The Prince. Our theme was composed by Ed Horn, class of 2022. For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Olivia Chen. And I'm Vida Saru. Have a wonderful day.